Hey everyone, welcome back to the Create Initiative Podcast, the show that brings you insights and techniques from people in the creative world. We serve to help fellow creatives connect, learn, and grow. Well, I'm Jason Evans, and with me is Kyle Lee. Kyle, how's it going, man? Great. Oh, that was a wonderful pause. You built yeah, the suspense. It was suspenseful, maybe. There was a lag in the connection. Well, I'm glad you're doing great. For those of us that don't know, me and Jason are literally inches apart. <laughs> Even more so than usual. We got new mic stands. Uh, so if things sound a little different, let us know. Already and sounds clearer. It does. It does. But it may just be because we are literally inches we can, apart now. <laughs> we can share the same brain space now. Oh, I, I don't know if the world is ready for that, Kyle. Mm, oh, we'll see. Uh, we, we will see. Well, you know, it's it's been a while since we've been uh, here in front of each other, Kyle. We've had a gathering uh, in Oklahoma City and in Tulsa. Richard Smith was our, our presenter, and uh, you were able to uh, join us for the Oklahoma City one. What do you think? Richard's the man. He really is, isn't he? Yeah, he can get up there, and he was well-prepared, amazing content. We all got a free sticker. Yeah. I put on my car immediately. Yes, you did. And so I loved it. Well, it, it was great. And Richard did do great venue. a wonderful job. Uh, it was a great venue, Destiny Christian in Oklahoma City and then Victory Church in Tulsa. Uh, both of them went above and beyond to make sure uh, we had a good experience. And so uh, that was our last, last hurrah for the year, man. <laughs> Okay, I can't hum that. We would have to license it, yeah, right? Yeah, I feel like we'd probably have to license <clears throat> it. But so Who owns that? Uh, Donald Trump? He might. He would say he does. Mm, true. So, yeah. Um, but it was a great time, and uh, we want to thank everyone who was involved, uh, including the Korean Initiative lead team and uh, Kyler Clapp for getting the uh, photo booth all set up. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, whoa, photo booth, yeah, you should have been there. Exactly. It was phenomenal. So uh, thank you to everyone who, who made it happen. And uh, we don't want to get too far into it yet, Kyle, but uh, we got big plans in 2020. The biggest plans. The biggest plans the Create Initiative has ever seen. But I don't want to spoil one of the guests lined up for 2020, but it rhymes with Nanye. So we're, we're working on that. It rhymes with that. We are so, working. Like on I said, that. not I'm not <laughs> spoiling anything. Not not spoiling anything at all. Uh, well, Kyle, we have a great guest lined up for today. It does not rhyme with with Nanye, um, but but we have a guest that both you and I are are super excited. I don't know if we've been equally excited about a guest as much as as today's. No, I think this is rightfully so. Rightfully to be so, so excited. Yeah. That, that is true. And uh, our guest today is Aaron Nequist. And uh, Aaron is is such a unique individual uh, for, for many reasons. But uh, his journey from kind of an evangelical, full-on evangelical uh, tradition to more of a, a liturgical faith and things like that is unbelievable. And we're going to talk about that. And, and mostly we're going to talk about it through his book that was released in 2018, The Eternal Current. How Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. Uh, Aaron and his wife, Shauna, they have two kids, and uh, they, they are remarkable people, and so we cannot wait uh, for you to hear this conversation. Do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I'm excited. Um, just really excited. I, I read the book you know, last August, and it 
it set me on a trajectory of change just in the way I thought about how we do church and um, through reading that book I picked up a bunch of other different books and um, been really excited it's really I mean it's changed my life honestly yeah and so um, excited to talk with him about that and in hopes that some some of you out there will pick up his book and and read it yeah it is it is a book that's kind of geared towards uh understanding how we perceive our faith. And I think for creatives, especially the ones who have some kind of impact and influence over what a weekly service looks like or, or how a church may may kind of operate visually and environmentally, uh, there are just a lot of great things you can take from it. But more importantly, I think from a personal faith standpoint, uh, there's, there's a lot you can grow from it. So uh, we will talk plenty about his book, The Eternal Current. He also is um, one of the founders of a new liturgy, which is a, a group of creatives and worship people who have created these uh, musical liturgies uh, designed around work and designed around living life and just all kinds of stuff. And uh, so we might talk about that a little bit as well. But so, uh, man, Kyle, let's just get to it. Yeah. Here is our conversation with Aaron Nequist. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining the Create Initiative podcast. We uh, are very excited to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Well, awesome. You know, uh, you... You've made an impact in Kyle and I's life, um, especially through your book, uh, The Eternal Current. And so as we, we kind of dive into this conversation, we want to use your book as a, as a guide. Um, but before we, we get there, um, can you just tell the, the audience, you know, uh, kind of a little bit about yourself and where you come from and, and what you're doing now? Sure. So like the whole life story. Yeah, you know, in, in however many minutes you want to take. <laughs> no, I mean, um, maybe for this conversation, I, I grew up in a Christian family and was involved with the church from the beginning. And um, my dad was an elder and a preacher and a worship leader. My uncle was the same. And so I've kind of been involved with church work my whole life. Um Right out of college, I went to Christian college, uh, music theory, composition, but it was in those years I, I really began leading worship and feeling called to do that. But right out of college, I got a job at a church and my faith imploded, which is a, a little awkward <laughs> when you're getting paid every seven days to lead <laughs> songs you no longer believe. Um, but, you know, uh, God, God didn't give up on me. And neither did uh, some of those in my community. And uh, so then kind of launched onto a new journey with God and in the church and um, have been a part of a couple different churches over the years. And then right now, uh, about a year ago, we moved to New York City and I'm uh, back in school uh, in seminary. So really enjoying that. Awesome. That's great. Um <clears throat> Aaron, on your book, there's a there's a little statement that I love, and it says, but I have found that while my original tradition is committed to and hungry for the truth, it compromises only a thin slice of a much bigger and more fully Christian story. You talked a little bit about how you grew up in a church, but then there in that statement, you said it's only a thin slice. What you were taught growing up was only a thin slice of what is yeah. the fuller Christian story. Would you be able to kind of expand upon that statement? And uh, um, that kind of sets the whole course for your whole your whole book in, sure. in my opinion. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, 
for many of us, when we realize that our faith tradition is imperfect, (laughs) it's pretty, it's pretty tough. It's almost like when you start to realize your parents are, are just normal humans (laughs) like us, right? When you're a kid and you're like, wait a second. Um, you know, when you realize your faith tradition is imperfect, it's easy to want to just pitch the whole thing. Like, okay, it was all BS. It was all lies. I'm out of here. But the real reality is um, I've been discovering and uh, many of us have been discovering, well, our faith tradition was actually really beautiful. It was just from one vantage point. Yeah, you know, that's good. This story of God, this epic, um, ultimately true, beautiful, pervasive, expansive story is so profound and alive and true, but our human ways of describing it are pretty limited. And so it's almost like each, van- each tradition, each Christian denomination or tradition has one true but limited way of articulating this vast mystery we call God. And so I, I started realizing, you know, my, my tradition, I grew up a pretty fundamentalist when I was young, and then in my high school and college days, more in the kind of evangelical, realizing like, man, our tradition has some beautiful parts to it and yeah. some profound weaknesses. And so can I hold on to what's good while then trying to expand and learn from other Christian traditions what they have to teach. And so that's probably been the last um, 10 or 20 years of my faith, just, man, everybody has something to contribute to this story, and how can I be open enough to learn it? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that, that uh, is a great answer. And kind of my my initial thought, even reading, reading the book and hearing you say it now, is, um, you know, we— Sometimes if, if we've grown up in the church and, you know, especially maybe in that fundamentalist realm or, or something, you know, it's, we kind of feel it's the, our way or the highway type of mentality. Like for you, I mean, you mentioned you kind of had a implosion of faith. I mean, how did, how did the, um, the roadblocks that, that might've prevented you from accepting you know, other faiths and understanding other sides of Christianity. Um, yeah. How did you eliminate those roadblocks? Yeah. I mean, it's easy to talk about that losing faith now with the distance of 15 years or 20 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because now I see it as such a gift from God. Like it, yeah. it, it set me free for some, from some things that at this point in my life, I'm so thankful to be a Christian. Now I'm a Christian in a really different way I was then, but um, it's a really beautiful story. And that losing faith um, cleared the deck for this new um, expression. However, at the moment, it was horrifying. Mm. It was scary. It was painful. I thought I was losing my soul. I thought I was losing my mind. I was losing some of my friends. Like the losing is, is, is quite scary. And so, you know, how did I move forward? I I think it was maybe two, it's probably a, a, a hundred things, but two that come to mind. One is I was desperate. This was, this was, uh, life and death in terms of faith for me. This wasn't just like, oh, this is an interesting path to pursue. No, no, no. It was, (laughs) I'm going to lose it all 
or I'm going to find God in a new way. And so it's kind of that desperation. And the, the second thing that I'm so thankful for is I had a few family members and a few friends that didn't give up on me. And they just said, we're going to walk with you. We don't think you're crazy. In fact, you're asking some really great questions. And we're, we're just going to keep walking with you. And uh, so I think it was those two things. Yeah, wow. That's so good. I know, like, it, it, there is, like, I grew up in very charismatic, and there's this sort of fear okay. where, um, okay, if I don't start feeling everything I've been taught and um, been taught to believe, then what does that mean for my faith? And right. if I don't start feeling right. like... It's like you're you're waiting in anticipation your whole life to like oh it finally clicks, but then kind of what you've been talking about you realize there's there's got to be more you know so that there's got to be more yeah that's yes. awesome what? and that doesn't mean the feelings that your tradition was helping you get in touch with are wrong or fake or anything that's mm-hmm. that's actually one slice of this whole story so you know you got to hold on to that even as you move beyond it. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. And, uh, you know, I think in the book you kind of mentioned is it's like pawns, you know, these, these different Christian faith traditions, they're kind of their own pond. And if yeah. we're not careful, there's no overlap. That's um, right. You know, that's so right. I, I think that's great. And, you know, your book kind of, you set the path, uh, through something that, um, y- you helped begin at during your time in Chicago. And that was, uh, the practice. And um, could you kind of uh, just give us a brief synopsis of what uh, the practice was, was, was and is designed to do? Yeah. Well, um, just for a little bit of context, um, at the time I was a worship leader on the weekend services at Willow Creek. And so if you've ever visited Willow, it's, you know, a a very uh, evangelical, modern, seeker oriented, that kind of uh, church. And it does what it does brilliantly. Um, but kind of in my own story, I was so desperate for more. Yeah. Like there's gotta be more. I, I used to call it, um, our, our whole approach was three rock songs and a hymn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and to be clear, there is nothing wrong with that approach. In fact, that's a really beautiful approach. We still do some of those songs in these, in different contexts, but I wanted there to be more. I needed there to be more. And um, I was actually explaining it to my wife why I was exploring some other traditions and, and you know, different forms of worship and liturgy. And, and she says, oh, well, it basically sounds like you want to serve a well-balanced meal every Sunday. Mm, yeah. And I was like, yes, my three rock songs and a hymn are one meal. And I think it's really good. It's like chicken and some rice and maybe dessert or, you know, that's a good meal. You just can't only eat it. Yeah. And so um, I was longing in those days at Willow to move beyond some of those things. So I, I, you know, I would read the Psalms and a third of the Psalms are laments. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at our worship song list. And approximately 0% of those songs were the men's. So I'm like, well, what do we do with that? You know, and in a deeper level, what do our people do with their sorrow? Because yeah. we as a church sure are not teaching them what to do with it. So what are they going to do? You know what they're going to do? They're going to pretend it doesn't exist, put on a Christian smile and come to church. Yeah. Yep. 
And I'm like, I'm, that is not the way <laughs> like we've got, you know, so we just started, um, exploring a little bit on the weekend services at Willow. And finally our senior pastor pulled me aside and just said, listen, Aaron, we're never going to do the stuff you want us to do. He said, that's not <laughs> what our services are for. But then he stopped and he said, but we know people need them. And I, yeah. I appreciate, I really appreciate this. He said, we know here at Willow, we're not doing enough to help people move deeply into kind of a Christ-centered faith. So would you pull together a team and create something uh, uh, that could help them do that? Which was just such a surprising and um, exciting thing. And so to make a long story short, we started a Sunday night gathering at Willow Creek. We met in the chapel. It's kind of the one holy space in that Motorola building, you know. And so we said on Sunday nights, um, we're going to be a community that doesn't just believe things about Jesus, but learns how to rearrange our lives in order to put his words into practice. And so it was a little more liturgical. We pulled from a number of faith traditions. It was a little more contemplative rather than just um, full volume all the time. And most important, well, two, two really important things. One, it was Eucharist center, communion at the center rather than the sermon at the center. And then probably the most important thing was it was about practicing, not just learning. Obviously, learning is so important, but we started to realize like, man, it feels like church is basically some songs to warm us up for the sermon. And we're like, historically, that's not what the church has been about. And I'm not sure that we're lacking for information. (laughs) Not sure that's the deep need. And so we said, what does it mean to put these into practice? So anyways, that's the short yeah. version. And um, <clears throat> you talk about a lot in there about when y'all did start the practice and everything, you, you bring up, you say physical space isn't neutral, and uh, yeah. which a lot of times is the opposite of what we're taught. You know, like we can meet anywhere and it doesn't matter as long as we, yeah. you know, and um, but I love the the one phrase in there where it says the container shapes everything we pour into it. And yeah. um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was something else I read of yours, but you, an example you had was like having a leader's face up on a giant screen, um, yeah. was, was basically pouring like a, a container for something we were pouring into. Um, I was wondering if, I mean, cause that's maybe 90% of evangelical churches have the IMAG sure. go in and yeah. Yeah. what, yeah. what do you think that, um, that as a container, what do you think, um, either consciously or subconsciously, um, what is that? portraying? Like, what is that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I I appreciate the question. Um, The container shapes everything we put in it. And so I think some of what I mean by that is not that the containers are good good or bad necessarily, but just that we need to be really honest about what the containers are communicating. So let's just take a couple specifics. Um, When we have at the center of our gathering, a stage where a certain group of people are elevated, lit, and amplified. Well, again, is a stage sinful? Is a microphone sinful? Of course not. But we've got to be really careful because we are, whether whether we desire to or not, we are communicating loud and clear 
that what these few people have to say and do and sing are more important than what all the rest have to say, do and sing. Mm -hmm. And so again, is that wrong? No, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying we, we have to be honest about it. Um, you mentioned the iMag, you know, having mm-hmm. one person's face, you know, a story tall. And I was joking with a friend the other day. Can you imagine if on iMag the pastor was preaching about the priesthood of all believers? <laughs> like they're literally he's he or she would literally be embodying the opposite of the message. Yeah. And yeah. so you just have to ask wh- which one is going to come through. And so that's why with the practice, we, again, we didn't say what's the right way to organize a church. We just said, what are our values and how can the room communicate them? And so a couple of things we did is we set the room up in the round. We thought rather than a theater type um, approach, it would be more of a communal type approach. We put the, the communion table at the dead center of the room. We said we don't want the preacher's words to be the absolute center. We want Christ's body and blood, you know, the the table to be at the center. And then we chose to not have any sort of elevated stage. So everyone stood at the same level. And that was a little complicated. You couldn't always see people, especially when everyone stood. But we really appreciated what that was teaching, Um, especially in the round, like half of the room had to look through the table and through the cross on the table to see the person speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're like, cool. Ooh, we like, we like what that is teaching. Yeah, so, and having to look through other people and uh, having to look, yeah. no matter where you are sitting, you were looking at half the community's faces. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's different than a quiet, uh, than a dark auditorium with you and the preacher, you know? Yeah. And again, I, I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm disparaging. I'm just saying um, every physical space preaches. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, yeah. you know, I think probably a lot of our audience, you know, they're, they're tasked with the, the job of creating an environment or creating maybe the service flow or, or yeah. helping, helping create that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you, you kind of mentioned in your in your specific context, you know, your pastor just said, hey, we're we're not going to become that, you know, every week. But right. we want to give right. you we want to give you a venue. Um, yep. But but as creatives, like how can we what are ways we can try to, you know, have conversations with our leadership yeah. um, and not even you know, we're not even necessarily talking about going full bore you know, one way, you know, from a evangelical yeah, to Episcopalian yeah. or anything, but, right, right. but, but just like we, if we want to institute or we want to have that conversation about the way our, our auditorium yep. is arranged, yep. you know, how do we have those conversations? Well, okay. I have a, oh, a couple little thoughts. All right. Sitting up in my chair. <laughs> a bunch of thoughts. Um, the first one, okay. Two, two main things. The biggest mistake I made at Willow, maybe we can start there because we're all friends now, right? Oh, yeah. Um, the biggest mistake I made was I, tr- I tried to change the form and the style at the same time. Hmm. So okay. basically I was trying to move from all we do is sing to a more kind of formative, uh, uh, well-balanced meal. Yeah. Do you hear that? Do you yeah. Hear that, voice, by the way? <laughs> that yeah. is awesome. It's the perfect welcome, NYC. Welcome yeah, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> if someone stops in the road, um, <laughs> like you're hearing, 
every single car behind them will lay on the horn indefinitely until the car moves. I mean, it's unbelievable. Here in Oklahoma City, so, there could be a whole uh, day where a road doesn't even get used. So, yeah, I mean. yeah, right. <laughs> so anyways, I tried to change the form and the style at the same time. So I, I tried to say I want to move from just the singing time to a well-balanced meal. And I want to move from only at that time Chris Tomlin songs <laughs> to a wider expression of music and styles. Okay. The problem is I tried, I pulled the rug out from under people. It was too much. It was too much. Yeah. And so what I wish I would have done is said, I want to move, I want to change the form. Like I want to move from this is the sing time to this is the time where we practice these different practices together. And we're going to do it largely through the language of our community. So we're going to use mostly Chris Tomlin songs to do this well-balanced meal because the point is not like music education. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the point is being formed into Christ likeness for the sake of the world. And so my, so maybe my first response to your question is try to figure out what the core of what you're really trying to ask and change and don't change everything else. Yeah. That's Don't cool. unnecessarily ask people to to shift uh, on things that don't ultimately matter. So that would be the fir- the first thing. The second thing is I had a friend, um, a mentor actually, and John Whitvelite, and he was really working on me, um, especially at that time, with the difference between expressive worship and formative worship. Mm-hmm. And so he told a story. He said, all right, when a kid is right, is pre-verbal, like one year, one year old or something like that, all they can do, they know what they want, but they can only speak in like grunts and points and it's frustrating for everybody. So he said the, the most loving thing a parent can do is give this kid language to help them express what is going on inside them. So we teach them how to say, I'm hungry or I'm scared or I, you know, this hurts or, okay. But then he looked at me and he said, Aaron, but at a certain point, a good parent has to also teach their kids language they would never choose to say. But as they say those words, it will form them into the kinds of adults we know they need to become. Mm. So that's why we teach kids to say, please. Yeah. And thank you. And I'm sorry. No, no kid ever just naturally says, yeah, my bad. Uh, You know, I screwed (laughs) up. No, of course not. We have to teach them the language that then forms them into people who can take responsibility. And so as he was finishing, my brain was exploding because I was realizing for like 15 years at that point, I had only invited my church community into expressive worship. Mm-hmm. How can I give them songs and prayers that help them express what's going on in their hearts? Now, that's wonderful. That's It's all over the Psalms. That is, that is one half of what it means to worship, and it's beautiful. But I had never considered the formative aspect of worship. What are the words we don't naturally say, but we need to practice saying? And so I think that's um, why the historic liturgy always includes a confession of sin Mm -hmm. and space to name the ways we've fallen short of love. Uh, 
and then a reminder of uh, an assurance of forgiveness. I mean, that is profound. But in my evangelical tradition, we never, ever did that. Yeah. Because it was uncomfortable and it made people mm-hmm. feel weird. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are some appropriate reasons. But then we missed out on practicing the word of, oh, God, please forgive me. And um, so my friend John just looked at me and he said, Aaron, what I would do is get your team together. And in a, in a kind of prayerful, thoughtful way, first, try to assess what are the words that your community loves to say to God. What, what just comes so natural to your worshiping community and write those down and make sure you keep saying those words and doing those words. And then he said, and then have another conversation. What are the words we're not very good at saying to God? And how can maybe one a month, we just practice one of these a month. So a really activist church loves to say, God, we're here. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world, but doesn't always say, you know, um, let's sit in silence and listen yeah. to the still small voice. Mm-hmm. And that's a word we need to practice. But the flip side is also true. Very mm-hmm. contemplative inward churches are great at the still small voice, but they need to practice. Here I am. Send me. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's not a right or wrong. It's a discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be another thing. Oh, that's that's awesome. And um, to kind of maybe uh, go from that grand view of, of a church environment to a personal uh, yeah. being formed. You, you mentioned being formed into Christ likeness for the sake of the world, um, yes. which, you know, that's that that should be all of our ambitions. Right. Um, sure. You know. As as creatives, sometimes we get bogged down by the work and the, you know, you got to get something. Everything's got to be ready for Sunday and everything, right. you know. How, oh yeah. What are some ways that that we can internally make sure that that we are being formed into Christ likeness, even through the mundane work? Yeah, even through oh, the yeah. the week to week. That is work. so good. Well, I would say. Um, <laughs> First thing, I, I had a friend who used to say, Sundays come with surprising regularity. <laughs> <laughs> they really do, man. Um, so I, I could, I bet uh, I have a spiritual director, Father Michael, who has been so uh, influential in my life. And I could hear him saying in response to your question, um, kind of the words of Jesus, look for the fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. Mm-hmm. And if there's bad fruit going on, we need to check the roots of our lives, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think we often look at fruit selectively. Like the fruit of my life is that last week's worship uh, service was really great. And that is part of the fruit. But I would also say, um, what about the how you talked to all the volunteers during rehearsal. Yeah. yeah. What was, what is that? What does that fruit look like? Does that look like mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Um, what about your core relationships? How would, if you're married or if you have a roommate or a best friend, how would they describe the fruit of being close to you? Um, if you have kids, um, what is your kid's experience like on Saturday nights or on Sunday afternoons? And so just to be really honest, what is the fruit of the life I'm living? 
And then I think once we start, again, being not not beat ourselves up, not shame, shame is never from the Holy Spirit. Shame is from the other side. But ruthless honesty and openness and truth and light to just be able to name, wow, I am falling short. Like for some reason, self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit, is not growing in my life. I'm pretty sure it's not the Spirit's fault for that. <laughs> so what am I doing that is currently um, uh, squelching? Is squelching a word? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, is, that is currently stopping this fruit of the Spirit from growing in my life. So um, one of the one of the central practices for this is silence and solitude. We have to create time where we're not working or mm-hmm. playing or talking or distracting or twittering, <laughs> um, which I think that's a verb. Um, the, the, the time where we let go of the ambitions, of the to-do list, of the next creative idea. I mean, we all have different drugs that we're addicted to. Um, some are, are addicted to literal physical drugs. Um, many of us are addicted to the drug of work and ministry, whether it's like the achievement side, I'm going to impress people, or the futurist side, that's where I tend to get in trouble when I'm, um, when I'm looking uh, to feel differently about my life, I'll be like, all right, I'll try to think of a new idea for the future of da da, you know. Um, <laughs> so we have to cultivate times of silence and solitude where we retreat from all those drugs, from all those crutches, and we just learn to be a, a deeply loved daughter or deeply loved son in God's presence. So it'd probably be a, a starting point. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. That's it's hard to do too. Like, oh, it's so. Hard. Anytime you yeah. mention silence at all, it's like, well, okay, yeah. well, here yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if we're not careful, we'll just jump into with great intentions. I'm going to sit for an hour in silence. <laughs> yeah. And five minutes later, you're like, get me out of here. Yeah. Uh, because silence, like anything, requires practice. Mm-hmm. And so I would say um, to begin practices of silence. Begin by learning about practices of silence. And so like uh, Father Keating uh, wrote a book, Open Heart, Open Mind, about centering prayer. And man, I probably spent you know a number of hours working through that book before I ever tried to do a, a centering prayer practice um, because it just gives these tools. It gives these uh, simple ways – Almost like the author is walking with us into these uh, very scary waters. Mm. So, yeah. Um, Aaron, if you could, I would love to talk a little bit about um, your family examine and yeah. uh, the purpose behind it and um, just what what exactly that is and what it means and um, how it helps your family um, put some of this into practice of what, what we've yeah. been talking about. Well, maybe can I say just one minute about the examine in general? Absolutely. And then I'll talk about the family version. For sure. Um, the, the examine is a historic practice that's been around four or 500 years, uh, created by St. Ignatius. And it's, it's, it's been life-changing for me. And um, the core insight is God is always working in our lives, 
it's us who rarely stop to notice. Yeah. And so the examine is just a simple way to notice God's fingerprints in our lives. It's brilliant. Five steps. You begin by inviting the Holy Spirit to guide. Step two is we review the day in Thanksgiving. So if I'm doing it at the end of the day, I just go back, spend a couple of minutes looking through the day, noticing what was good, what was beautiful. Step three is we notice the emotions that pop up, the positive and the negatives. We just we don't judge them. We just notice how we felt along the way. And then step four is we choose one of those emotions and spend some time praying um, with God about that. And then step five is we look forward to the future and hope. And it's just been, obviously, it's been around for four or five hundred years, and it's been so helpful. So side note is I wrote a big section of that in the book, The Eternal Current, Mm -hmm. and my spiritual director and I actually also created a recorded liturgy walking people through the examine. So if that's something someone would be interested in, you can find that at anewliturgy.com. It's liturgy number six. Um, it's just been so helpful. Anyways, so my wife and I were talking about how do we invite our boys into this? And at the time, um, they were probably five and 10, something like that. Right now, they're eight and uh, 13. And so we said, well, let's, do a, let's modify the whole high-low idea. And so we would get to the dinner table and serve the food and say a prayer and start eating. And then we just begin with what was a moment today that you felt most alive, that you felt most like yourself, that you're so thankful to God for. And we just go around the circle. And, um, and then the second round would be what's a moment that you felt lost, that you felt unlike yourself, that you felt disconnected, that you felt afraid. Um, let's talk about that. And it did a couple things. Um, you know, the five, when he was five, our little guy, Mac, he, you know, sometimes it would be a story about aliens that flew in the window and yeah, he wasn't always totally with reality, but occasionally he would really say, Hey, somebody said something that really hurt my feelings today. And we were able to be present with him in that moment. And, um, so it did a couple things. One, it opened up, um, space for holy conversations, uh, around our table. And that was really beautiful. And we kept being able to point the goodness and the loss, um, toward God and invite God into those spaces. And then the other thing is it, it gave us a chance to talk about some of the hard stuff before it was a crisis. Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, in some of our circles, it's like, don't bring up anything negative unless it's so bad, you know, we have to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And this is the exact opposite. Let's not ever let it get that bad. You know, let's talk about it real time. So that's been a really meaningful practice for our family. That's awesome. That That is awesome. And, you know, I I know there are people who are listening who, you know, a lot of these ideas are are just very challenging because of, of their traditional upbringing. And, and that's really, yeah. you know, what the whole point of your book is. And, um, and, but I, I remember reading in your book, uh, you were quoting, uh, somebody, uh, a, a lady, I believe and who, who mentioned like doing stuff at home, I think around Advent and, but she, yeah, 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 yeah. In, in the book, she mentions that it basically took 10 years for it to not be scary. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yes. Uh, you know, like, yes. I mean, as far as yes. so if you guys have been doing the, the family exam for, you know, three ish years, I mean, how, yeah. you know, 
have, have you noticed that, that it just becomes easier to, to oh, dive into that practice? Absolutely. Yes. And it doesn't make the actual issues of our life easier. You know, yeah. life is hard, yeah. <laughs> but the container gets more and more natural and helpful yeah. rather than, um, it gives us tools. That's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. It gives us tools to engage reality with God. Mm. And I'm so thankful. And, you know, the other thing I'd say is, um, especially for those uh, who, yeah, grew up in different contexts, like maybe you hear, you know, the examine and you're like, oh, man, that's a Catholic practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, another way to think about the examine is Psalm 139. Search me and know my heart, you know, um, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Like this is, if it's not connected to the text, if it's not connected to what you know of God, don't do crazy practices. (laughs) Like we're not, we're not saying now you need to stand on your head and, uh, you know, um, these are the spirit, the practices that have sustained Christians for generations and generations are deeply orthodox and yeah. deeply connected to the scriptural story. Um, sometimes they, they use different language. The language doesn't help. Don't use it. But don't miss out on the practice. Yeah. I have a, a friend, Glenn Pacquiam. He's been a, uh, a great friend and uh, uh, he's down the path in this in a lot of ways. And he said when they started doing confession in their church— they were like, there's no way we could do a confession from the Book of Common Prayer. You know, my evangelical people would have really, you know, had a hard time with that. And he said, so I just said, we're going to pray Psalm 51 mm. every Sunday. And that's the psalm after David David sinned with Bathsheba and that whole story. And he, you know, created me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he said, we started with with our shared tradition. And he said, after we did that for six months or a year, then when I said, you know, this is another prayer that Christians have been praying. Um, oh God, we confess that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, words, and deeds, and what we have done and left undone. And it just created all this space. So the container doesn't matter. What matters is the holy space that it opens up in us and in the community. So... Oh, that's, that, that is great. Um, and I, I actually, uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to go and visit, uh, Glenn's church and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit like doing the, the confession, like, I mean, it's a scary thing, like, you know, because it's not a, you know, even though you're reciting it with a group of people, like it's, it, you, you feel that vulnerability, which, you know, by the end of it, you know, as I take stock of it, I'm like, well, that's probably one of the best things I could have actually sure. done, you know? Yes. And so it, it, yes. it, it really, really is amazing. Well, Aaron, um, man, we, we are so thankful that you would take the time to, to join us. And, um, before we go, I, I wondered, yeah. I, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, but would, okay. do you have a, like a prayer or would you mind saying a prayer for the creatives in the local church who, who, you know, are working so hard, especially as we get into the the Christmas season. Yeah. I would love to invite us into uh, a a prayer that involves our bodies, involves our hands. And the simple idea here is that 
we are not just brains, but we are fully embodied images of God, right? And so uh, I have a, a spiritual mentor who says, when you when you pray, say to God with your body what you're saying with your heart, you know. And so that's why a lot of times we'll open our hands or like in worship, we'll raise our hands. These embodied prayers are really helpful. So if I could take just three minutes and um, guide those of us who are listening in an embodied prayer, um, I would love to invite us all to practice. The only people who are not allowed to do this are if you're listening driving. <laughs> Please keep your hands on the wheel. But for the rest of us, um, I'd invite you if, you, if you would feel comfortable to put both feet on the floor, to take one deep breath, And if you'd lift up your right hand, like you're holding your right hand open, what is one thing that you are so thankful for in your job, in your role as a creative in your church? What do you love about it? What do you love creating? How do you, what are you so thankful? Like I get to serve my church in this way and I'm so thankful to God. Can you imagine that you're holding something in your right hand that kind of represents that? Maybe it's a microphone. Maybe it's the mouse of the keyboard that you do all the editing on. What is it? What are you so thankful to God for about your calling and your work? Now, with that in mind, don't put your hand down. Keep that right hand up. Keep that gratitude um, open and held before God. But also open up your left hand. And if in your left hand you could imagine something that represents something about your work or your calling or your passion, that's really difficult right now. Maybe it's a, a difficult dynamic going on with the church. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's just a sense of dread about all the work of the next couple months. What is it? What, what, what could you hold in your hand that would represent something that feels really heavy right now in terms of your creative work? Try to imagine that in your left hand. And now finally, friends, if you would place both hands over your heart, and it's your literal heart, of course, but, but in a deeper sense, over your spiritual heart, the center of your being. We hold both these things that we're so thankful for, the gifts of our vocation, the gifts of this creative work, and we hold the heaviness, the weight the disappointments, the fears, we hold it all together. And now just imagine that God places God's hand over both of your hands, over your heart. What do you imagine God wants to say to you in this moment with what you're holding and carrying?
Gracious God, we thank you that you see us, that you're with us, that it is in you we live, move, breathe, and have our being. God, we thank you for the ways we get to serve your people. We thank you for these creative invitations and uh, the, the, the team we get to serve with, the people we get to serve with. We thank you for the joy of this work. And God, we also name the weight of this work and the, the stress and the challenges and the way it has broken our hearts along the way. And we hold both in your presence and ask that you would, that your will would be done and that your kingdom would come in us, through us, and in spite of us. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.